Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, you look good. I mean, from the back. I haven't really looked at you from up here yet. But Do you ever uh, think about the phenomenon of how knowledge gets from outside of you to inside of you? No? Just me? All right. Well, it's a whole field of study, just so you know. Uh, it's a whole part of philosophy of how your words come in your ears or you read them on a page, and somehow they get incorporated into who you are as a human being, and that's a phenomenon. How does that happen? Because not all the words get through, do they? <laughs> turns out there's a lot of good knowledge that gets in your ear, but it doesn't get in your heart. It doesn't get in your mind. It's a phenomenon of how it works. Why do we, I mean, we latch on to some things that are totally useless. And other things that we hear and go, I will never forget that. And then we go, yeah, I already forgot it. Here's one of those things. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly in spirit. And you will find rest unto your soul. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we hear the words. We've known them. We, 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 we've heard them spoken. We've read them. But how many of us would go, that's, that's how I live. I live in a space in which I come and I, I bring my burdens and I find genuine rest unto my soul. That's what happens to me. That's my reality. And I don't know about you, but I could use cathartic moments. I could use moments in which I get to empty out some things that are sort of, you know, all stuck inside. Just me? Catharsis. That's a word that means... The emptying out of emotions that are either repressed inside of us or are sort of clogged inside of us. Catharsis. A relief. A letting go. An unburdening of our hearts and minds and spirits and souls. How often does that happen to you? How often does it happen in your journey? It's kind of a, it's a tough one. A.A. Mill, who wrote uh, the, the Winnie the Pooh stories. How many of you have actually read the book, Winnie the Pooh? Good, look at you. Six of you, congratulations. <laughs> so a whole series of books, but the opening story is this. This is how the book starts, the first book starts. Here is Edward Bear coming down the stairs now, bump, bump, bump on the back of his head behind Christopher Robin. It is, as far as he knows, the only way of coming downstairs, but sometimes he feels that there really is another way, if only he could stop bumping for a moment and think of it. And then he feels that perhaps there isn't. Anyhow, here he is at the bottom and ready to be introduced to you, Winnie the Pooh. And when I first heard his names, I said, just as you are going to say, but I thought he was a boy. So did I, said Christopher Robin. Then why do you call him Winnie? I don't. But you said he's Winnie the Pooh. 
don't you know what their means? Well, yes, I do now, I said quickly, and I hope you do too, because that's all the explanation you're going to get. Sometimes Winnie the Pooh likes a game of some sort when he comes downstairs, and sometimes he likes to sit quietly in front of the fire and listen to a story. This evening, what about a story, said Christopher Robin. What about a story, I said. Could you very sweetly tell Winnie the Pooh one? I suppose I could, I said. What sort of stories does he like about himself? Because he's that kind of bear. I love that. I love the acknowledgement that now we're going to tell a bunch of stories about Winnie the Pooh because he's that kind of bear. And you know what? You and I are that kind of bear too. Probably more so than we would ever care to admit we are that kind of bear. A few months ago, I got a phone call from a friend of mine, um, and he said, listen, uh, would you be interested in coaching some other pastors? And I said, I, I, I don't know. I mean, do I get a whistle? I mean, what, <laughs> what exactly is going to happen in this coaching thing? You know, do they have to, like, run wind sprints and stuff? He said, no, uh, you know, to, to be a coach, you have to actually get a certification. So you have to actually go take a class, and you have to figure out and learn what it means to be a coach. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I got in the class, and, uh, and, and I found out that coaching is different than anything else. It's, it's not giving advice. It's not mentoring. It's not counseling. So I'm like, well, I got nothing. I mean, if I can't mentor and I can't give advice and I can't counsel, what exactly am I supposed to do in this process? Here's the deal. It turns out that coaching is learning to listen to people. Had I known that, I would have never gone down this road. <laughs> I mean, imagine this. There is a whole discipline that it turns out that just listening to people and asking good questions is a cathartic actually transformational process. So when I started reading the material, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Sure, this is going to be great. And as a part of the process, I have to be coached. I have to be coached by my peers who are also learning. I have to be coached by professional coaches who have lots of experience. It's very artificial. You sit in a room, you know, and then you go, okay, well, you're going to coach now and you're going to be coached. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Uh, I, I don't know. And here's what's amazing to me. In that very artificial environment, it turns out I'm that kind of bear. <laughs> that when someone starts to ask me questions, very quickly, it stops being about a class and an exercise, and it starts being about a conversation that I'm actually enjoying. That I'm actually enjoying somebody ask me questions and listen to me talk about my life or journey or whatever happens to be the topic at that moment. And I've not only experienced it, but I've watched it. I've watched this very artificial environment in which two people who hardly know one another from different parts of the country on a Zoom call, can you get more awkward than that? With a whole group of people observing, so we all turn off our cameras and our little faces are looking. And we watch them interact. Just Friday afternoon, I was watching one of these group interactions. And the woman who was being coached kept asking, just kept asking questions. The person just kept asking questions. And at a moment, she just broke down and started to weep. 
in this very artificial Zoom call environment because we're all that kind of bear. And we long to let out what is inside of us. We, we long for a cathartic experience in which we are able to unburden our hearts and our souls and our minds. We're starting this new series called Active Listening, and I just want you to know uh, what I hope when you're done is you have seven golden rules of active listening. Uh, this today is the foundational start, which means if we don't get this one right, the rest of them won't matter very much. So here it is. If we're ever going to become active listeners with each other, we will have to be convinced of this. God is listening to you. God is listening to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your soul. Let it out. Unburden yourself. Let go. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to figure it out. This little series is going to be taken from the book of James. The, the book of James is a very controversial book. Did you know that? It's very controversial, I suppose, in the you know, terms of the canon of Scripture. And as recently as the Reformation, which is fairly recent, it was uh, fought to get James taken out of the New Testament. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, so at the big Reformation, you know, the, the, the sort of the power of Catholicism has been sort of fractured now, and, and now we can ask big questions. And one of the big questions that was asked is, should James remain in the New Testament? Because it doesn't mention Jesus at all. Thankfully, it remained, and we have it. Five short chapters. It's a very short letter that James writes. It's fascinating because it's James, the half-brother of Jesus, that writes the letter. So that's always interesting to me. You know, hey, wonder what Jesus' brother thinks. <laughs> oh, here's a letter. James is also the head of the church in Jerusalem. So he, he's got some administrative responsibility in the early church. And what he chooses to write about is fascinating because it's not theological at all. In fact... If you said, I'm going to get in the New Testament and I need to know all the stuff about how it's written and so I can't, because I often read Scripture and I don't get it. Listen, James is a letter you can't misunderstand. You just can't misunderstand it. And I just don't like it because of that. It's just not ambiguous enough. There's just not enough debate about what he's trying to say. He just says it out loud and he gets into very personal things about our own behavior and conduct, specifically having to do with how we speak and relate with each other. And so, to just take a moment and let him talk to us from his heart, I think, makes a difference. Here it is, James chapter 1, verse 2. You've heard these words before. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Now, now a couple of things about this. We talked about this passage just a few weeks ago, but, but just to revisit a couple of things. I, I don't know that I'm very good at this counting at pure joy when I go through trials and every kind. Anybody else feel like you're okay? 
You're doing that? Does every time a bad thing happens, you just feel like, woohoo, super excited? I don't know, maybe you folks at home feel more excited about the trials you go through. There's a consensus in the room that we're not that happy about it. Consider it pure joy. So I have questions. And my questions revolve around this. You know, exactly when am I supposed to feel this joy? Like after everything gets fixed? Or like when the trial is starting? Or like when I'm in the middle of it? When exactly is this joy supposed to be coming down the pipe here? Because I'm not sure that it's happening for me. And then I have questions about where exactly to apply it. You know, do I apply it, you know, in the sense that, that I am happy about the trial or I'm, I, I know that the trial is going to bring about some good things? Exactly where do I apply this joy? And, and then I have a question about when. When am I supposed to just rest and just trust that God's going to work everything out? And when am I supposed to get involved? When am I supposed to take initiative and you know, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do or not do. I don't know how that all fits together, exactly what is supposed to be happening in this process. And then I also think this, why would any sane person consider it pure joy when they go through trials of every kind? Why would any sane person think like that? And what, what would the outcome be if, if all of us just had that Pollyanna attitude about the problems in life? Pollyanna is an old movie. It's about a girl. Her name is Pollyanna. And she's always happy. She's very optimistic. She goes through all... It's a Disney movie, but it's very old. So... So James then, he doesn't leave the... Con- so he says, hey, so here it is. Go count pure joy because you know that the trying of your faith produces perseverance. So you're going to become patient and tolerant. You're going to become a better human being because you go through trials of every kind. That's what's happening to everybody, isn't it? Okay. So count it pure joy because a trying of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance, when it's finished, brings about maturity and completeness. Awesome. But I think when we read this passage, we forget the next verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives freely without finding fault. Because to me, this is the, this is the point. <laughs> You're going to go through trials of every kind, and there are going to be wisdom questions. Where? Why? How? What does this mean? How do I get there? These are wisdom questions. How do I live in this space where I know that, yeah, some good's going to come out of it, but right now it's just a problem? Here's how. You ask God for wisdom because these are wisdom questions. And this God, from whom you ask wisdom, will give wisdom to you freely without finding fault. How many people can you say that about? How many situations can you unburden your heart in which people are going to give you advice freely without finding fault? Seems rare. Seems incredibly rare. And yet you and I need it. We will be unable to listen to others until we have become convinced that we have a space in which we are listened to. Where there's a cathartic healing space where we pour out our soul, where we let go, where we unburden ourselves, where we feel like there is a resource, something is coming in instead of everything going out. 
But somehow these, this reality exists out here. We know the verses, we've heard them, we sing about it, but does it get in here? Does it cause something to be different in our soul? Because somehow it's got to get from an external idea, a value, into a virtue of our soul, a practice, something that happens to us in very vivid and real ways that changes how we breathe, changes our very physiology, changes our heart rate and our blood pressure, changes us, changes us. So when you start to wade through some of that, I, I want you, if you would, to just take a deep breath. Maybe you close your eyes, although that's dangerous in church. <laughs> but somehow let these verses just sink in. Psalms 46.10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Jeremiah 33.3 Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Isaiah 65.24 Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking... I will hear. Psalms eighteen sixteen. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And from His temple, He heard my voice. My cry came before Him into His ears. Psalms 41. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He turned to me, and He heard my cry, and He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand, and he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Is, is any of that familiar to you? Do you believe God? I, I think we live as a culture, and we don't really think God hears us. As people of faith, we, we, we tend to shy away from praying, and if we pray, we just shoot off little flares of need and, and, and worry and stress. But, but the idea that we come to Him and we unburden our soul and, and we pour out our heart and we, we find this cathartic letting go and we believe we're being heard, we're being listened to. There is a place where someone cares for the deep parts of our soul and, and wants to draw us out and wants to give us wisdom and, and we need it. Jesus... In his time on earth, he goes again and again and again and again and again and again and again to be alone with the Father. You can't imagine that he's going to be alone with the Father because he made a commitment to have daily devotions. You just can't think that. Instead, he's going to be alone with the Father because it's cathartic, because it's healing, because he's that kind of bear, because even the Son of God needs someone to whom he can unburden his soul. And if he needs it, how much more to you and I? How much more to you and I? And not just to unburden, but to unburden to someone who offers wisdom freely without finding fault. Where do you get that? Where do you get that? 
in learning to listen, I, I, I came across a piece in one of our textbooks, and it was about the levels of learning, <laughs> I mean the levels of listening. So here they are. I'm going to give you three levels of listening, and I think they matter. Number one, if we're ever going to believe that God is listening to us, we're going to have to learn to listen to ourselves. Amen? How much do you listen to yourself? I could ask that a different way. How many voices are in your head? Because, I mean, there is the us that's down in there somewhere, you know. And then there are the us that is edited by the other voices in our head. Amen? I shouldn't think that. I shouldn't feel that. That's not right. That's not okay. I shouldn't. I'm going to clean that up. I'm going to... That's not really who I am. I don't really think that. I'm not really mad about that. That didn't bother me. If we're ever going to become listeners, we have to get better at this first layer of listening. We have to get better at listening to me. Listening to what's really happening to me. Not you know, sort of channeling things away or packing them away. I have to get in touch with what's really happening without sort of all that other stuff that filters through. And where else am I going to be able to do that except in the presence of God who gives freely without finding fault? What if I could really unburden myself? Part of what I believe is that we don't think God is listening because we're not really talking. Uh, I mean, we pray. But, but we don't really pray about what's happening. We pray about stuff that we wish he would fix. But we don't really talk about who we are. We don't really talk about what's going on inside of us. We don't talk about what's wounded. We don't talk about the, the stuff that's down in there. And if we're going to ever believe and be prepared to be active listeners in a world that is starving, by the way, for people who can listen, isn't it weird that now you have to get trained to become a life coach to listen? Here's what's really crazy. I'll be 62 years old in June. I am learning to listen. I need professional help. (laughs) Amen? I mean, I'm reading this stuff going, what? Now I'm self-conscious. Somebody will come into the office to talk, and I'm totally self-conscious. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What phase of the conversation am I in? Am I in the opening? Are we evoking? Let's evoke. Just imagine, we've become so poor at listening. We have to train professionals who can help listen and draw out what's really happening to us. What is life coaching? That's what it is. It's somebody sitting going, well, tell me about that. Well, oh, what's that like? How does that work? And the Holy Spirit says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Unload it. Let it out. Number two, the second level of listening is listening to you, listening to the other person. If we're ever going to be able to really listen, it's because we will give our undivided attention to people when we are listening. Do we give our undivided attention to God? How often does He have very much of our attention? Most of us pray on the run. We pray in the midst of other things. We pray when things are happening to us. That's not very cathartic for us, nor does it convince us that there is a God who's listening. Do we give God any undivided space in our life and in our journey? 
to know who we are and to know what's going on inside of us and to have listened to whatever it is and to not with any embarrassment or any sort of qualification to have to clean it up or fix it up, but just to pour it out cathartically, laying it at the feet of Jesus and focusing our attention, believing that He's listening. And then the third level of listening is listening to us. Sometimes I'll have somebody in the office and there's conflict and so there's two people and they're talking about, you know, what's going on and who did what and who said what and how it all went down and all that stuff that happens in conflict management. And I like to ask this question, who's the patient in this situation? Who really needs to be taken care of? Who's, who's bleeding out right now in this circumstance? Well, when you're in conflict, who do you think the patient is? So very often, that's the response. Uh, they're the patient. They're sick. They need help. Or I'm the patient. I need care. So I try to say, well, you do realize there's a third patient here. And the third patient is the relationship. And sometimes each person has to sacrifice for the health of the third patient. <laughs> and neither person becomes the primary patient. The primary patient's the relationship. And I wonder how often we allow that to be true of us and God. I would think most of the time we're the patient. And we're asking God to fix us, help us, be therapeutic, whatever it is that we need. Give us drugs, stat, you know. Amen. But how often... <laughs> 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 but how often do we sit in space and say... What about us? Can I listen to what the us might be? Because it's more than just me unburdening myself, and it's more than me giving my full attention to God. There is a dynamic that happens between us. There's a voice, there's instruction, there's guidance, there's comfort. It's, it, it all happens. But if I'm solely focused on me, or I'm solely focused on you, I'm going to miss what's happening to us. And I need to listen at this level. I need to listen about me. I need to be honest about that. I need to listen about you. I need to focus with my undivided attention. But I need to think about us. What's the dynamic? What's changing? What's going on? How is that out there getting in here? Don't, don't we all sort of live in the first two levels? I mean, at some level, here's what's happening to me. I know you're out there somewhere. Let me focus on you. <laughs> but when can these two things at some level, synthesize to where there's an us. Because if I believed there was an us, there was a God listening and interacting with me, I would come here more often. I would spend more time in this place. If we're ever going to be able to hear and listen to the people around us, it will be because we have found a resource in which it's pouring into our souls. If we did a little survey, and I just said on a scale of 1 to 10, <laughs> 1 being I'm very self-sufficient and I don't need much and I feel like all of my deep needs are getting met, and 10 being I hope I, get, I hope I can get to the car from here. I'm not sure I have the energy emotionally to get there. Where would you put yourself? Super self-sufficient? Barely hanging on. 
Because most of us probably fall somewhere on that continuum of, I'm in a deficit somewhere. I don't have as much as I need. I feel like there's a lot going out and not a lot coming in. I feel like I'm overwhelmed. And I don't know if you know this, but life has a way of doing that to us. Amen? I mean, let's talk politics. I'm not really going to. But doesn't it make your stomach hurt when somebody says that out loud? Oh, this is going nowhere good. <laughs> it doesn't matter what he says, it's going to be bad. It's going to be real bad. <laughs> because that churns us up inside. Churns us up inside. We've been noticing a little, you know, discoloration in the plaster in our living room. So we had a guy out this week to look at it. And he came and knocked on the door and he said, I want to show you something. That is never a good thing. <laughs> that is not what you want to hear. I mean, you want them to find the problem, but not like that. You know, like, I don't know. I don't see anything wrong, but we'll work on it. No, he said, come here. I want to show you something. And then he said, are you okay on a ladder? 62, not 102. Yeah, I can... <laughs> No spring chicken yourself. Watch that stuff, you know. <laughs> so I crawled up the ladder. I said, look, look at that. There's a hole that big in my roof, in the, in the deck, you know. And I'm like, how does that even happen? It kind of makes you... I mean, politics, certainly, but my own house has turned against me. I mean, don't you feel that way sometimes? He's like, really? Something else? Another thing? One more? We haven't even delved into the interpersonal relationship stuff. Let me just ask you this. How do you think folks are doing interpersonally in our world? How do you think relationships are faring? Yeah, it feels like people are lonely. They're disconnected. There's a lot of divisiveness. There's a lot of, there's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of fear. And, and, and we're supposed to be the folks who are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. How will we bring healing to the situations of our world if we don't have a place to heal? If we don't have a place where this idea that's out there, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened, you'll find rest under your show. If it stays out there, if it doesn't get in here, if we don't start to experience the space in which we settle in somewhere and we unburden our hearts and we unburden our soul and we believe that God is deeply listening... Seven golden rules. This is the foundational one. If we do not believe God is listening, we will never be able to listen to each other because there's just not enough resource. There's just not enough of us to go around. There's just not enough inside of us. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives freely without finding fault. The Catholics have always been really excellent about spiritual formation. Father Simon Teller in a little article, writes five ways that we can be assured that God is listening because we can be assured that God is speaking. Number one, God speaks in silence. God speaks in silence. How often do we just get silent with the full intention of hearing God speak? Might be worth doing. Maybe we don't feel like God's listening because we're never quiet long enough to believe and to hear Him Say something back. Number two, he says, consult the scripture. Isn't it amazing that the scripture is the living word of God? 
Meaning, you can read a scripture a thousand times and it means nothing, but one day something happens to you and something's going on and suddenly this scripture is alive in a way that speaks directly to your soul because the Holy Spirit empowers the word in that way. But we've got to be reading it. And I grew up in the era of believing that I needed to read 17 chapters a day or it didn't really count. You know, how many did you read? A verse? What? <laughs> you must not be a very good Christian if you only read a verse. <laughs> I just wonder sometimes if we treated the scripture more like a delicacy and less like a buffet. <laughs> if we might not actually get some nourishment and digest something. And I don't really care how you read it. But can you just, in a place of reflection, allow the Word of God to speak? Because God is listening. And, and it, often the proof is because He speaks. But if we can't hear Him speak, we don't think He's listening. He speaks in silence. He speaks through His Word. He speaks through our conscience. He actually leaves impressions on our thoughts and on our feelings. Amen? Of course, we don't always want to hear what He has to say. Maybe somewhere along the way is the practice of journaling. Because I wonder how often God is doing things in our life and in our journey, but we miss it. And we don't write it down. And then we move on. And we don't have any way to go back and go, you know, God, really, look at this pattern. Look at what has happened. I can connect all of these dots, and they create a picture. There's something going on here. And I would have missed it had I not been just simply writing a few things down, a few impressions of what I think God is saying doesn't mean everything that we write down is necessarily the voice of God. Amen? <laughs> it just means we enter into the discipline. Number four, through the beauty of nature. God speaks through the beauty of nature. For some of us, getting out and walking, getting out in nature, getting out and away is the way in which God speaks most profoundly. That's okay. <laughs> With intentionality. And then finally, He speaks through other people. He speaks through other people. Do you this morning feel God is listening to you? That He hears the depth of your broken heart? That He hears the depth of how you're made? We, we're celebrating Mother's Day. Part of the giftedness of Mother's Day is being blessed with women in our life who listen. Who listen. We listen. In fact, the best stories we have are people who listen and give freely without finding fault. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your soul. Is that true of you? As we enter into this season and this celebration of listening, we're just going to invite the band back. We're going to sit quiet for just a minute. I just want to invite you to whatever image is in your head of God listening, that you'd embrace that. God, would you help us? We need you. We need you to speak. We need you to listen. We need to unburden ourselves. We recognize that when we operate in a deficit, everything going out 
and not much coming in, that we get cranky and selfish, self-centered. So we just sit in this quiet space. We take you at your word if anyone lacks wisdom. The why, the where, the when, the how. That we can ask God who gives freely without finding fault. I pray that as we move out into this week, we would, we would devote time and energy to sitting in space with you and allowing you to just listen. As we sing these words, they are the response of our heart. We pray that you would continue to do work in us. Whether we're in the room, whether we're online, whether we're watching later in the week, Lord, we want to find this space in which we unburden and experience this catharsis and find our souls deeply nourished by your presence and your power and your goodness. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. You just stay seated right there. Sing this together and let's just continue in worship. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.